from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. You're listening to Money Talk for February 24th, 2023. Looking at the calendar, the Brewers begin the Spring Exhibition Series on Saturday, and the Bucks welcome the Phoenix Suns to the Forum on Sunday. Sunday is also National Tartar Sauce Day and World Bartender Day. You could celebrate both with a stop at a delicious Milwaukee fresh fry. Shouldn't that be on Friday, though? <laughs> Lake Superior State University compiles an annual list of the words that should be banished from our vocabulary. Here's just a small sample for 2023. Goat, as in greatest of all time, as in Tom Brady. Quiet quitting, just doing the absolute bare minimum to keep your job. Not that it's a new concept, but I guess slacker just wasn't a cool enough word anymore. (laughs) Irregardless, it's not that it's not a real word, but irregardless of that, you should stop using it. (laughs) Finally, a phrase we've been using for what seems like a hundred years. Apparently, they just got tired of it, but it is what it is. Not unlike employers around the nation, a pizzeria in Columbus, Ohio is having a little difficulty finding folks to staff the restaurant. The manager decided to employ a little humor in their latest attempt to attract workers. Recently, the store posted a sign that reads, Now hiring non-stupid people. (laughs) Hopefully that entices some intelligent folks to step up and grab a slice of the action. Apparently, we've built the fence on the wrong border. Incredibly intelligent and highly elusive Canadian super pigs are gobbling up crops, spreading disease, even killing deer and elk. And they're headed right for us. Folks in the northern states are being warned to keep an eye out for these porkers. Now I'm just waiting for someone to turn this into a Marvel movie. (laughs) Finally, here's the head scratcher. A lawyer dies after his hidden gun goes off during an MRI. Now just where do you hide a gun in a hospital gown? You know, on second thought, I don't want to know. (laughs) Irregardless, on today's show, we've got Adam Bailey, Tom Pappenfuss, Joel Driesing, and with a look back at the week, our very own goat, Kyle Tedding. (laughs) (laughs) A bit of a tough week for stocks. The NASDAQ down 3.3%, closing today at 11.395. The S&P 500 down 2.7%. Closing at the bell at 3970, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 3%, down more than 1,000 points this week, closing at 32,817 for the year. The Dow now slightly negative, down nine tenths of a percent since the start of the year. The S&P 500, though, is still positive, up three and a half, and the Nasdaq is still pretty stellar, 8.9% gain from the start of the year. A quick look at stocks. Quick look at bonds. The uh, benchmark 10-year Treasury yield moved seven basis points higher, closing at 3.95% today at the bell. And the uh, rates on shorter-term five-year U.S. Treasury and 13-week Treasury moved higher as well. Uh, Potentially, Joel, in response to some of the information we got today on uh, spending, and in particular the PCE number, the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, the Fed's preferred measure for inflation. Yeah, that's a number that went up for the first time in a while. Um, you know, it was as high as 7.1% in June. 
um, you know, when we were all concerned about inflation, as if we're not now, but we were more concerned then. That was the highest inflation rate in 41 years. Um, and now it's at 5.4% for uh, January, but that's up from 5.3% in December. So it's going the wrong direction a, a little bit, but it's it's still, you know, in the wrong direction. And it's, it's sort of um, emphasizing what some people have been concerned about, that the economy isn't weakening as much as it should, which the spending number shows. The, the other part of that report today was that consumer spending went up in January um, by a large degree, by the largest, it was 1.8% up from December. And that's the largest increase since March of 2021 when we had those federal, the last time we had federal stimulus payments. Um, so we want, we, you know, the Fed wants spending to go down so that the economy slows down, so that inflation goes down, and it doesn't help when spending goes up. You know, Adam, it seems like we get in this habit of good news being bad news for the stock market. And while inflation wasn't necessarily good news, some of the other data around it on spending certainly points to the economy being a lot stronger than I think other you know people might think. And so, um, you know, stocks struggle this week. Yeah, and um, you know, this year we're back in that. Uh, th- this week we're back in that old dynamic of good news is bad news temporarily. Just as we have to digest that. Okay, fine. Federal Reserve's got to hold rates higher temporarily. Um, but in our job, in our world, good news is ultimately good news. And we got some decent economic news this week when it came to consumer spending. Uh, as you mentioned, jumped what 1.8 percent in January. Uh, retail sales were up in January. Consumer sentiment, that also came out. Uh, that moved up a little bit higher. Um, you know, it also moved up a little bit higher. The savings rate as well um, ticked up just a little bit. So um, you, you put this together with uh, some of the other economic news. It's kind of painting a picture of an economy that's a bit slow and steady, maybe not faltering, maybe not going gangbusters, but certainly it's been slower and steady and getting out from behind uh, what was some peak inflation a year ago? And you know, it's, it's clear that we've broken the fever pitch of inflation, but we're not out of the infirmary yet, um, but, uh, judging by some of the numbers that we've gotten this week. And Joel, Adam mentioned some of the other economic news this week. We got quite a bit on home building. We got some more employment information as we do each week. More, more of the same. Right. Yeah. Housing is the one that's really showing the weakness in the economy, the sorts of things that the Fed wants to see from those higher interest rates because, you know, higher interest rates means it's going to cost more to buy a house because mortgage rates are going up. So for 12 months in a row now, we've had existing home sales going down from the month before. So um, we also had a report today. It was the, actually the first time in three months that uh, new home sales went up. Um, but But Compared to a year ago, the rate of home sales is down 19%. So housing is, is you know, one sign that maybe those interest rate increases are affecting the economy the way the, the Fed wants. Um, on the other hand is the, the labor stuff that, as you mentioned, uh, unemployment uh, insurance claims are near a historic low. Although... In the last couple of weeks, it's gone up a little. We look at the four-week moving average, which kind of uh, evens out some of the, the week-to-week wrinkles. Uh, I actually think that, if I may make a stand here, I, I, I think that actually those numbers might be bottoming out. Um, I think that it's going to start 
Um, although the labor market is still very tight, in part because of demographics, um, I, I, I think we're going to start seeing more reports of, of people losing their jobs, and we're going to start feeling more of that pain. And again, that's kind of what the, the Fed has warned should happen when they raise these interest rates. There was a report this week by the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan arm of Congress that you know analyzes things. They're forecasting an unemployment rate of 5.1% by the end of this year. It's now 3.4%, which is the lowest since 1969. So there's, um, there's going to be some pain that's suffered yet as these interest rates go up. Yeah, what I appreciate about those forecasts is uh, less the exact number because it's so obvious when you look at uh, forecasts over time that um, we tend to miss on the exact number because of all the variables that go into trying to predict things. But direction is what becomes critically clear. And if we're half right on the, you know, the direction for the unemployment number, uh, the unemployment rate, then you know, I think that speaks to uh, an economy that clearly will be slowing, an economy that clearly has some challenges ahead. And so, um, you know, we continue to navigate this risk of how far do we let inflation run, how long do we let inflation run versus how quickly do we try to get it under control. So far, the Fed took some pretty big steps early on, and they've slowed down that pace a little bit with the understanding that it takes a little time to get there, that inflation in theory, should keep coming down long after we stop those rate increases. And yet, you know, we're still in this economy that's running pretty hot in some areas, not so hot in others. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of mixed news makes that forecasting, I think, fairly difficult. And remember, we're, you know, the economy is trying to catch up from this uh, overused word, uh, back to what Jason was talking about before, but unprecedented, you know, stop in the economy with the, the outset of, of COVID and the adjustments since then. So, um, yeah, that's all That's all playing out, and, and we don't quite know what's going to happen. And, of course, Tom, adding to some of the uncertainty is this ongoing crisis in Ukraine. We're this week a year into that war, um, and I think it's amazing just how far we've come with some of that. Yeah, I mean, um, just kind of highlighting, I mean, thinking back to when the war first started and, and all the uncertainty, what did that really mean? I mean, um, for as tragic as it was and still is, you know, trying to highlight and think back to how far we've come and what, what's changed uh, in that period of time. And so we look back and, and at that point in time, at this time last year, we saw oil uh, about getting ready to spike, you know, within a few weeks up to about $128 a barrel. Um, you know, since that has moderated and now we've been kind of in this range of around $80 a barrel. But really, you know, we think about Russia and all the sanctions that we, you know, imposed upon them. And ultimately, what's the impact to, you know, the, the markets and, and kind of things that matter in our world? And, and think they're really kind of a mass producer of commodities. You know, if you think about oil, natural gas, uh, wheat, and what did that mean, uh, you know, to the commodities markets? And so when you this is all part of that fueling of inflation that we've talked about and kind of the impacts of, that we're still dealing with. And, um, you know, and, and ultimately in thinking about the markets and how well we had a bear market last year in stocks. We had a bear market in bonds last year. Um, so we've kind of whipsawed back and forth with where we, but we're still trying to shrug off, you know, a lot of the effects of of what this war has caused in the first place. You know, as I've looked back and just kind of reflected on the past year, you know, what's changed, what's stayed the same. And it's, it's interesting to point out that the market is about where it was 
a year ago. I mean, we've had a lot of gyrations between now and then. Um, oil's down from its peak, um, which is good. And, you know, the, the two biggest worries that we've just had to digest in the last 12 months with the war in Ukraine is, um, you know, the, the global supply chain shocks that just led from that and the inflation that it created. I mean, inflation and global supply chain issues were two of our biggest worries. They're not yet in the rearview mirror, but they're starting to be. And it's good to see some of those worries that have been plaguing the markets and the glo global supply chain are might be behind us at some point this year. Well, in a variety of ways, we solve that problem. One of them is we've talked on this podcast quite a bit about the billions of dollars being spent bringing manufacturing back here to the U.S. and North America more broadly. And so the challenge is you don't solve the supply chain problem overnight by saying, well, we'll just build a factory in the U.S. or in Mexico that makes that. But you do put some confidence in buyers that maybe the price that it's, things have gotten to, in particular semiconductors uh, being a, a big example, maybe those prices have gotten a little ahead of themselves. Maybe as the supply chain starts to firm up, as there's more opportunities uh, and more secure opportunities to purchase those kinds of inputs, you know, maybe all of a sudden things start to look a little better. And I want to remind investors that the very act of building out that manufacturing base has an immense ec economic impact from the labor that goes into building those facilities to the heavy equipment that's uh, you know used to clear the land to the companies that sell the automation that's going to go into all of these factories. Um, because the cold hard reality is we don't have enough workers here in the U.S. to staff a factory the way that, say, China, Vietnam, uh, parts of Asia Pacific could staff a factory. Um, and so we're going to have to do a lot of it with robotics, with automation, with artificial intelligence. Oh, by the way, those are the very same things that improve productivity. A major reason why the long-term direction for inflation is down, because when you're more efficient at production, those input costs become less variable, all the ancillary pieces become less of a problem. And so I think you know, it's amazing how all of these pieces that we're talking about kind of come to a head. They come to the same conclusion that, you know, Adam, as you put it, we're not quite past those issues, um, but we see the way out. You know, we see what, what it's going to take to get inflation back to 2 2.5%. We see what it's going to take to put a little more confidence in the global supply chain. I think along those lines, I've I start to think about what what are kind of the themes, investment themes, thinking you know further on into the future, and you know as you kind of mentioned with you know the deglobalization, if you will, and and some new infrastructure spending, and you know how do we start to position clients for the future? Maybe not in the next one to three, but maybe three to ten and and, and beyond. Um, so you know, I th from what I understand, you know, usually bear markets tend to bring about new leadership. So they have, some of the things I talk about with clients is. You know, we are coming off a decade of, of growth stocks, technology stocks, um, you know, uh, things that tended to do well then. You know, be prepared for, don't stick to those anymore. You know, we got to kind of start to learn to let go of what has worked and think about what might work in the future. And it might be industrials, materials, things that are kind of, as the term I've heard, um, you know, old economy type of stocks doing, doing better again. You know, um, you mentioned we're coming off of growth leading the charge. I like looking back a little longer term than that. We're coming off of 13 years where U.S. stocks have dominated the global markets. And um, 
there's periods of times where U.S. stocks dominate, and then you know you get a regime change, uh, you get a secular headwind change, and uh, European stocks can dominate. And we're starting to see maybe early signs. It's too early to, to tell at this point, but we're starting to see some signs that maybe uh, European businesses are starting to pick up the baton as the, the U.S. dollar has peaked and uh, appears to be falling a little bit. That could be a tailwind for non-U.S. stocks, um, you know, over in Europe. Well, certainly the weakness of the euro has been a, a big benefit to a lot of those businesses. It's cheaper to buy product from European Union when the, the, the price of the dollar is so much stronger than the euro is. It's the same reason why when the dollar is strong, you choose that trip to Italy instead of that trip to the Grand Canyon. And so um, I think there's certainly something to be said about some of the opportunity that's ahead. We got to be careful there, obviously, because as you look at the world, I think there's a lot of risks out there still that maybe... I haven't fully been digested. Clearly, China's going through some stuff right now uh, as we, you know, kind of consider their response uh, or lack thereof early on to COVID compared to some of the data that's coming out now. And clearly that data is quite a bit misleading, I think, on what's actually happening. Uh, But a reminder that the world is full of great businesses. Uh, And the key is not to focus necessarily on just the ones that are in your backyard, but sometimes it's all right, there's some great opportunities out there, Um, you know, just because of where someone's located or what they do that's specific to their region. And so I think a good reminder that, um, you know, there's some pretty decent opportunities out there. You know, beyond maybe just the the simple short-term outlook versus the long kind of opportunity set that, Tom, you were talking about, I think there's this tendency to want to look at forecasts and go, well, what's going to happen the next three months, the next six months, the, the next nine months? And especially at a point in time in which we're in transition, you know, as I said earlier, I think the, the magnitude or the timing of those shifts is less important than the direction. And so the key is to stay balanced. The, st- the, the key is to lean into some of those areas that provide some obvious opportunity Um, while maybe leaning away from some areas that provide some greater risk. And so uh, it doesn't have to be an all or none. I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that those forecasts tend to be pretty wrong, uh, especially short term. Uh, But longer term, you know, I think you can can see the writing on the wall on some of these bigger picture ideas. So, um, you know, maybe with that, uh, obviously, thanks for listening. We enjoy doing the program for you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalkatlandis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>